Alrighty. Um, first one we're going to chat about, Dave. Canstar, which is one of these financial websites, had a survey of potential first home buyers, people who are looking to get into the market as as their first purchase for buying a house. Ninety percent of those are worrying about saving a big enough house deposit. Um, forty-two percent yep. are feeling very or extremely stressed about that concept, as well as a lot of them feeling somewhat. So it's not it's not encompassing more than 50% of everybody's stress, but it's at least some part Mm -hmm. of stressing people out. Looking at the price range of a property for a first time buyer, um, 63% were aiming for a house between 400 and 800,000. 16% Mm -hmm. were planning on spending 400 grand or less while 21% had their eye on a property worth more than that. Um, Another interesting takeaway from it was the bank of mum and dad. So obviously the bank of mum and dad can mean a few different things. Maybe it's a parental guarantee or maybe it's a family mm-hmm. member giving you some money as a gift to help go yeah. towards a house deposit. 79% of respondents didn't receive any contribution from a parent or a family member compared to just mm-hmm. 21% who have. Um, yeah. And they were talking about the time it would take to save for a house deposit uh, for a dual income or individual as a first home buyer, given you know, the state of the economy right now, the cost of living, inflation, and the the general median wage uh, for an Australian at the moment. And they were tracking yeah. that it would take a dual income couple over six and a half years to save a 20% deposit for a national house, uh, sorry, for a house that's national median house price would be around 800 grand, while a single mm-hmm. buyer might take close to 13 years. Because yeah. I think 20% of 800 grand is close to what, like 160 grand, something like that. Yeah, 160 odd, yeah. Yeah, so that's obviously a pretty big number that's pretty insurmountable mm. to some, I would, I would say. But I wondered what your thoughts were on this. And uh, obviously, keep in mind, this is people that want to get into the market. It's not people that are already in the market. So what, yeah. were, your, what were your thoughts about the survey? Oh, look, with, with a lot of surveys, it depends on what the question is. Um, if... You know, when, when they keep talking, a lot of these surveys, they talk about, you know, oh, you've got to save a 20% deposit and you'll see things on the news. They say, you know, the, the median price in Sydney is a million dollars and to save a deposit of 20%, you know, it's going to take, you know, four and a half light years. Um, you don't need 20% deposit. There's plenty of ways. You can you can buy a property with a 5% deposit. So, you know, 5% of 816 grand is about 40-something thousand 44 grand so yeah i'm not sure if the people doing the survey said oh to people did you realize that you can actually get it get in a property with a five percent deposit now that could be the first home loan deposit scheme or it could be just you know getting whacked with mortgage insurance because there are lenders that will lend you 95 percent plus stamp duty if you've got to pay it and um uh, mortgage insurance, you know, they'll lend you that. You know, you, you don't get the, the best interest rate, but you get into the market quicker. Um, whether they said to people, look, do you realise that if you're living in Sydney and Melbourne, you're probably better off renting and buying somewhere else as a rent vester? Um, you know, we've got clients who who do that and they've done quite well. And a lot of the property gurus we talk to, a lot of them still rent and they just build investment portfolios. So, I think with a lot of this stuff, like say a year ago when prices were higher, people were complaining about deposits. Um, now 
you know, we're seeing the stats where property prices are coming off the boil and in most capital cities are reducing. Um, there should be less people worried about deposits because the deposit should have gone down. Um, we find that most first home buyers, the issue is the deposit. It's not the borrowing capacity. Most people have excellent borrowing capacity. Um, yeah, if you're in a certain occupation, accountant, um, medico, you know, pharmacist, physio, you can buy property with just a 10% deposit and pay no mortgage insurance. Um, with the with the thing about mum and the bank of mum and dad not as popular, um, yeah, seventy nine percent didn't receive any contribution from a parent or family member. Um, but I'm not sure if the question asked about guarantees because uh, we do a lot of guarantee loans where our know, parents help uh, people. So look, no no real surprises. I think um, what you've got to work out is what your objective is. If your objective is to get into a house. Um, or get into a property to buy or rent, um, go have a chat with your bank, go have a chat with a mortgage broker about options you have and do it rather than sit there and wait on the sidelines because you'll probably be there. You know, the, the clients that we talk, you know, some, some of the clients we talked to five years ago are still sitting there wondering whether they should buy or not. Um, whereas if they bought five years ago, um, we, you know, we've got some people who bought two or three years ago and you know, luckily there was a, a global pandemic which pushed house prices up. They've made one to 300 grand um, by doing nothing. So um, yeah, I think it's just a matter for people to work out what they want to achieve and if they want to get into the market, work out how they can do it rather than um, sit back wondering why they can't. This one I thought was interesting. It's a survey from Advertising Week Australia Pacific. They surveyed a bunch of Aussies, basically sort of chatting through how Australians' spending habits have changed uh, over yeah. the last couple of months. So obviously, back in, for some context, in February, the Russia-Ukraine stuff hits, which sort of sends a bit of a sends a bit of a, a knock-on effect to other parts of the economy in, in global terms. Um mm -hmm. And we've also had since May, we've had a rising cash rate from the RBA, which obviously dictates the price of money to borrow through banking and things like that for business or to, to buy a, a, a house. Of the people surveyed, the areas that were being hit by the most cuts, uh, the most amount of Aussies looking to cut those sorts of spending out, 63% will cut back on dining out on restaurants and Uber Eats like takeaway. 61% have cut back on buying as many coffees from the local cafe. 34% were looking to cut back on subscription services. 48% were likely to cut things out like Netflix and Stan. So it obviously seems like maybe Netflix and subscription streaming services are being cut out. Like that's something I've personally done recently. Going out to dinner is looking for the axe as well. But one other thing they they sort of established from this survey was people were still trying to maybe look at cutting out things uh, that that are part of their lifestyle or maybe luxury things like buying coffees out and things like that nature while still hoping to save to go on a holiday at some point. Um, just, I guess, your thoughts on this one. Like, what? obviously, this is... I feel like this can only be a positive thing because it seems like more people are hopefully um, being a bit more proactive about addressing how they spend their money and ways they can fix it, you know? Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, that that thing. Like I, I was in um, Newcastle yesterday, seeing some clients, and um, um, thought I better get something to eat, so I popped into the local Macca's down the road because I needed to, yeah, get a chocolate thick shake. And um, while I was there, there was four orders in front of me. All of them were for there was two for Uber Eats, one for Deliveroo, and one for Menu Log. Ten years ago, you never saw that. You know, people people would just go buy stuff or they'd do it out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of all the majority of people we see who don't have much money spend too much money. Um, some of them, granted, don't earn a lot of money. Um, but um, I was talking to um, the guy who runs the coffee shop near us here in Dubbo, and he was just saying that he's noticed that. Um, less people are coming in to buy coffees. So, you know, the, the the sort of thing that the Reserve Bank wants to happen seems to be happening, that people are cutting back. Um, but, um, you know, as I said, you know, most of the people we talk to and we get their living expenses, and, you know, you go through their living expenses, so you're, you're right on, you've got, you got your finger on the pulse. People just spend a lot of money on what would seem to be unnecessary stuff, which... I wouldn't have thought would be a priority for them when they're trying to buy a house. So if you want, if you want to buy a house, most people can. You may not get the house you want. You may not be able to buy where you want. Um, but if you make the necessary changes to your behavior, you can save money. You can get into the market with less than a 20% deposit, like we just talked about. Um, you can leverage equity in properties, whether it's yours or a family member's to get a guarantee, um, or you can just keep renting and buy an investment property. So there's plenty of, plenty of options. Um, it looks like, you know, the, the, the numbers, but you only got to look at the Netflix share price and it's gone south um, over the last, say, six months since um, interest rates started going up in the US. Um, but then you've got to look at why before the pandemic, yeah, the the numbers of people with Netflix was a, it's probably back to those levels. It was just everyone was locked inside, and you know you can only watch so much. Um, you can only watch so much free TV without yeah, watching some good stuff. So look, it's not really surprising. I think for some people, like one of our clients in Hobart, um, sent me the letter they got from their bank in July. And that was about that was for the June rate rise, and they only got that last week. Now I said to the person, I said, "Look, you still haven't got your July rate rise letter, and you're going to get your August rate rise letter. So the 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 interest rate they're telling you you're moving to, you've actually got to add one percent to. So I actually don't think a lot of people are going to feel the Reserve Bank's rate increases till probably September, maybe October. So I think there's a bit of pain to come." for people um you know that's why when we help people get into a loan we talk to them about building buffers that you know if your repayment is 400 a week make it 500 a week from the start so that you're building a buffer for when rates were going to go up because we did talk about you know that the rates would have to go up eventually we just i suppose everyone was a bit surprised that they've gone up as quickly as much as quickly based on you know what's happened with the reserve bank saying they wouldn't go up to 2024. So look, in the end, um, it's not about how much you make, it's how much you keep. And um, 
you know, if you're living beyond your means or you're spending most of your pay, um, it's, it's something only you can address. Mm. And sort of speaking on the living expenses side of things, we did a, uh, we released a podcast that I did called how, <clears throat> how I budget and sort of explained how uh, a, a good exercise to do is to literally go through your bank statements with a red and a, one of those four color pens, like, and use the red and the green and everything you put in green was like necessary expenses, like groceries, utility bills, rent or, or mortgage or board or whatever, petrol, things of that nature. But then everything in red was everything that maybe you didn't need to buy, but you did. So coffee, mm -hmm. Uber Eats, or going out for dinner or going out on the piss on the weekends, all that stuff you put in red and you realize how much that really adds up. And then, but some of my mates are genuinely surprised when they've got a ton of money missing from the bank or, you know, during the week, but they, they don't realize how much that money from drinking on the, on the weekend adds up. So it's just choices in life. I feel like at the end of the day, but it's, it's, it's worth doing for sure. Worth reviewing what you want to spend. If you want to try and get into the market or if you want to just be better at budgeting, if you don't really care about budgeting or saving money, don't listen to the show. You'll be fine. Do do your own thing. But if, if it's something you want to do, there's content like us and there's content on the on online plenty out there for you guys to look into if you want to try and get on this sort of in uh, way of like budgeting and being smarter with your money so long term you reap benefits that other people won't ever hope to do and some of that might be opportunities they miss out on but some of it's because i don't really go out like I don't go out drinking with friends on the weekend and I would love to, and I miss out on a mm. lot of things, but my choice is that I want to invest my money and I want to set myself up now. So in five years or so, I've got investments working in the background and I don't have to worry about it again. But right now, like the last two or so years of my life have been good. They've been fine, but I've missed out on a load of social things because of the money that's involved in those things. And my sacrifice is to, is to not spend money on those things. So it is about yeah, like but, choices. But, but you can, people can also make choices to say, look, I can't, I can't go out, but do you guys want to come around for dinner? You know, I'll cook, I'll cook us something and you just bring a bottle of wine. And so, you know, you spend 20 bucks at the shops on food and they, you know, spend, 20 bucks on a bottle of wine and three or four of you have dinner and it's 40 bucks rather than going out and getting on the slurp. Yeah. So um, there's ways I to, think there's ways to navigate it for sure. Yeah, for sure. But look in the end, you've got to work out what your priorities are. And you know, the old saying that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to get it, if you want to have investments that are working for you and compounding, you know, most people have to make sacrifices. So um, yeah, it's, it's um it's up to it's up to the individual, but I think part of the problem we've got is we have too much of the media focused on um, trying to apologise to the people that won't make that effort. You know, the, to say, look, why was you? And yeah, it's not your fault. It's bullshit. It's your fault. Simple as that. Yeah, if you don't have, if you spend too much money, that's your fault. It's no one else's fault. It's not the government's fault, not climate change's fault, it's not Hillsong's fault. Yeah, it's not Joe Hills Biden's Where'd fault. Where'd Hillsong come from? I was thinking about ScoMo and um, putting all these, you know, 
where he where he's um, appointing himself as ministers without the other ministers knowing, and uh, there was a bit of a joke about Hillsong. But for for most people we see who don't have a lot to show for their efforts, it is one hundred and fifty percent their fault. It is no one else's fault. They make poor choices. Um, you know, you'll see people on the TV who complain about why that they're not making enough money. Well, maybe they made the wrong career choice. So that's their fault. You know, if if they decided they wanted to be an artist and they can't make ends meet as an artist, is that society's fault? Is that the government's fault or is it their fault? It's their fault. So I think there's too much in the media where we um, try and placate the people that won't take responsibility for themselves. Whereas, you know, we've got plenty of clients, we've got 30-year-old clients who are just about to buy their fourth property um, and they've got a child and they're renting um, because they've made decisions that have enabled them to do that. So we should be celebrating them rather than trying to um, cajole to the people that won't have a crack. Here ended the lesson. What did you just say at the end there? I said, here endeth the lesson. Jesus, you're a dickhead. All right. Um, yeah. Last, last one I had. Um, I try to figure out ways for us to, to present like a balanced argument uh, regarding like landlords. Every time I go on Facebook, I see a, a news article. It's usually the ABC. So a lot of landlord bashing. And I think... I don't think people realize how dependent we are on landlords who are usually just normal people that have bought one place because most mm -hmm. people that have investments only have one. So they're not the idea that they're these cashed up people taking advantage of young people renting or whatever. It, I'm just not sure where the evidence for that actually is, but that is mm -hmm. usually the, the media narrative surrounding landlords so i I've, i'm trying to think of ways we can sort of maybe explain why changes in government legislation affect the amount of rentals in an area positive or negatively based on the how landlords are being treated by that government like if the yeah. government is a bit more pro landlord you're actually gonna the idea is if a government is more incentivizing landlords if if there's more of that going on chances are more people will buy in that state to invest and then have an extra house in the rental supply, which is ultimately better for the area because there'll be mm. more rentals. What's happening at the moment is the ACT have, have released a draft copy of a bill that will sort of change some of the legislation around landlords and how they are allowed to rent out their property in ACT. Um, mm -hmm. It'll put in place minimum standards for rental properties. And some of these aren't bad. So don't, mm. don't, don't, he <clears throat> don't hear this news and assume that all of the, the legislation they want to introduce is negative, but some of it is not great. They want to look into including removals of um, no cause evictions and stopping rent bids. The rent bids, I can understand that one's dodgy to me. I feel, I feel like, but um, the Real Estate Institute of ACT shared that uh, no recommendations from the Institute were adopted at all by the government and the Real Estate mm -hmm. Institute of Australia are supposed to be like the top real estate body working with the government 
to sort of consult on on bills and legislation around the real estate injury. So it's unfortunate that they didn't listen to them at all, um, given that like they've got a pretty good track record of knowing what they're talking about and being worth mm-hmm. listening to. Um, in Victoria, where I live, to give people a bit of context, the Victorian state government introduced minimum standards in early 2021 and the effects of that reform seem to be only showing now. There were obviously some things around like in Victoria by law, a, a tenant can paint their ha- the house they rent and be allowed to paint the house that they rent for free, you know, like they, they don't need permission. But then if the landlord wants you to change the, the, the house back to the original colour, you have to do so. But if you don't do that, and then the landlord has to front the bill for that, they might go to VCAT, which is the body that sorts out tenant landlord disputes. The waiting times for that is around 22 weeks to get VCAT to look at your case and, and, and deliberate on who's in the right and who's in the wrong. So a landlord might have lost a bunch of money going through this dispute and then has to cough up the money to paint the house again because the rent, the, the tenant of the place wanted to paint it a different color. Um, there's other issues about pets and I know dad, you might not, you might have a bit more of a rant on this one too, but like in Victoria, if a, if a tenant wants to have a pet, there's not really much the landlord can say. And I know that a lot of people my age might, might have a different opinion to me. So I can understand that. If you own a house and you're putting it on the rental market for someone to pay you to live in because they don't want to buy a house, they want to rent. It seems really silly to me that the person who owns the place doesn't have the control of being able to say yes or no regarding pets. That's crazy. Yeah, look, I, th- I think I think part of it is there seems to be a view um, that if there's if people if investors aren't buying, that that frees up property for people who would normally rent to buy a house. And, you know, on the, on the, the surface, that probably seems like a reasonable thing. The, the problem is that around one third of people will always rent. Now, just because there's more um, properties available for owner-occupiers doesn't mean that everyone who's currently renting is going to be able to buy a property because of the stuff we talked about earlier. You know, some people spend too much money. Some people, um, you know, have bad financial habits. Um, they have, they don't have the income. So, they, you know, they will, they will have to rent for a, until they either get more money, um, get an inheritance, um, spend less money, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, there are some shitty landlords around and some horrible places, um, but generally... You know, it's in a landlord's best interest to make sure that the tenant's happy so they keep paying the rent. And I was talking to one uh, young lady in Newcastle um, when I was there the other day and her she's got a property and the land, the real estate agent said that she'd be, she could put it up 50 bucks a week. But she said, um, the tenants are really good. They look after the place. So I'm only putting it up 20 so she's made that choice. So, yeah, one of the, the, the problem we have at the moment is a chronic undersupply of properties. We, we're not building enough. One of the stats that's sort of coming out of, I think, out of the census and um, from other research is that the number of people in a household is reducing. 
So whereas, say, three and a half million people used to live in a million houses, now two and a half million live in a million houses. So um, there's more demand for property. And if we're not going to encourage investors to, to have property for rent, well, either people are going to sleep in cars or tents or the government's going to have to make up the, um, the shortfall. And it's a lot cheaper to get investors to do it rather than for the government to do it. So, yeah, I can see why on the face of it, yeah, the, it's like, um, you know, when, when there's, when there's an, an issue, um, sometimes there's an overreaction of government regulation um, this seems to be what's happening here because I would have thought if you're if you're if you own a house and you don't want pets in that house, surely you're as the owner should be the one who can say, look, I don't want pets in that house. And it's a bit like you know if you give someone a lift, um, you might say to them, look, I know you smoke, but I don't want you smoking in my car. And most people would go, yeah, that's fine. Uh, when you rent a taxi or an Uber, you're not allowed to smoke. So, um, yeah, I just think, yeah, you know, sometimes some of these um, some of these um, government initiatives may not be well thought through. So, um, but anyway, it's all fun and games. There were a few things you wanted to cover before we got out of here, mate. Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, with interest rates going up, borrowing capacities are dropping. And I saw a stat where they said that for every percent um, that interest rates go up, and they've gone up 1.75% in the last year since May, that that will drop um, interest rates 10%. Sorry, that will drop borrowing capacity 10% for every 1%. So what we're finding is prices are stabilising, and in you know, some areas the um, prices are dropping, and that's due to, you know, a lot of factors there's more listings um vendors are a bit more um realistic about what they're going to sell properties for um you know they're probably seeing that you know, property prices are dropping so the agents would be saying look that that offer you've got is pretty good and if you sell it in six months time you might have to sell for less um but that's also that buyers do not have as much they're not as cashed up so whereas you might have had, you know, 10 borrowers who could spend a million dollars on a property, now it might only be five because interest rates have gone up. So with the interest rates now, the talk is that they're going to keep um, tweaking up. Um, who knows? Um, as said before, you can't really control it. All you can really control is what you do. So um, that's sort of where people need to focus, I think. Um there was a thing that comes through about in the UK, and this is around mortgage rate buffers. So if your interest rate is 3.5%, the bank assesses your ability to make repayments at 3.5% plus 3%, so 6.5%. And they're talking about doing away with those buffers in the UK because it's pricing a lot of people out of the market and they're not being able to borrow money. So there is some talk about whether that might come in here. I can't see that it will, and I'm not really a fan of it. I actually think the mortgage, the, the buffer is a good safety net for people, especially, you know, if you bought a property earlier this year and the rate you were quoted was, you know, low 2% and now it's mid 3%. Um, if you were borrowing to your maximum at low 2%, you could be in a serious strife when it comes to um, 
you know, making your repayment. So that's just interesting. I saw some stats around the auction numbers, um, which I thought were quite interesting. And that was the the number of auctions is sort of hanging, the clearance rates hanging around the low 60%. Um, and there are slightly increased numbers of places going to auction. Um, and I was talking to some clients I saw on the weekend who were buying in in uh, in and around Maitland and they said what they they thought was happening was that a lot of agents were still putting places on the market for auction with no intention of ever running the auction it was just a way of trying to get people to sort of commit quicker than going to private treaty where you just you know put a for sale sign up out front run it run an open home so um just you know, just be careful with with auctions like normal. Just remember that when you're approved for finance, that means the bank has approved you. Um, they have not approved the property. So if you buy at auction and you pay too much, make sure you've got um, sufficient um, funds to cover any shortfall. Because if you pay six hundred grand for a house and the the valuer comes in and says it's only worth five eighty, well the bank will expect you to, to pay the difference of 20 grand. Now, it doesn't happen a lot, but it can. So just um, just be careful with that. That's it from me. Last thing, in October will be this, uh, October will be the first month that the Australian Bureau of Statistics will release inflation data monthly. So that's a big deal because usually we get it you know, a lagging indicator of the last quarter, like two months after that quarter ends, we find out what the inflation was for that quarter. So hopefully it'll be a little more recent starting in October. Don't hold your breath, you know. Government is good, but sometimes government is shit. So, you know, yeah. take it for what it is. Well, that, 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 is, that is long overdue. Um, yeah, I know the... Um... The RBA have been saying for a while that um, it has been tough um, trying to work out the you know, what's happening in the economy when they're only getting figures that are three you know, three months. So you know if you get if you get the June figures, um, yeah, if if inflation started peaking up in April and then increased in May and June, you get the figures and it's sort of a bit, it's a bit of a bit out of control. So. Um, yeah, interesting, and it, it, it's good to see. Well, if anyone wanted to get in touch with us or learn more about what we do as mortgage brokers, you can go to moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. Uh, you can find um, a bunch of helpful like calculators to give you a bit of a guide around like budgeting or any, any of that sort of thing. If you go to Facebook and look up Money Saver Home Loans, you'll find us there as well. We post a bit of content there. And as always, in the link box of the, wherever you're listening to this, in the description, there will be a few little links you can click on to go to our Instagrams and all that sort of stuff. Check out a podcast we released a few days ago with a guy called Matthew Hatcher. He is the mayor of Eurobadala City uh, Council Shire, which is down on the south coast, south of Wollongong. We had a chat for about 30 minutes or so about the rental shortage that's going on and how a lot of people that live in his, uh, his region that he looks after are living in their cars and then going to full-time jobs as school teachers or nurses or doctors. 
And it's not because they're not ideal tenants that they can't find a rental. They can't find a rental because there are no houses, no houses for people to live in. It was a bit of a, a deep conversation and it bummed me out for a bit, not going to lie, but it's worth listening to, to help people hopefully understand a little more about why we're in this predicament. So if you want to check that out, go to the Spotify, check it out. Matthew Hatch is a legend. We need more people like him in the world. And it was a good podcast. So, um, yeah, that's it, people. Have a good week and we'll see you next time.